So because there's nothing in nature that can increase your dopamine again to 10 times, you start to feel like the only way you can feel happy and content again is to get more of that drug. Because what dopamine feels like is when you've got lots of dopamine in your body, you feel elated, you feel motivated, you feel energized. But when dopamine levels are low, you feel rubbish. You feel depressed, tired, moody, unmotivated, even to do the very basic tasks. Welcome to the Eat, Live and Move podcast by Miyagi, a space where we bring you the latest science-backed conversations, expert insights and practical tips relating to all things health and wellness. Hello, I am Dr. Gina Cleo, your personal habit change expert. And I'm Dr. Ross Walker, a cardiologist and preventative health expert. Together with our 60 plus years of collective experience, mostly thanks to Ross, we're on a mission to help you to improve your health and transform your habits so you can eat, live and move better one episode at a time without the fluff or the fads. Ross, I am pumped about the next two episodes because this knowledge literally changed my life. And I've seen it help so many people get a better understanding of why they keep doing the things that they don't want to do. Like, why do we snooze our alarm when we plan to get up? And why do we scroll on social media instead of just going to bed like we said we would? So today is going to be part one of a two-part series. Today, we're going to cover why we do the things we don't want to do. We're going to talk about reward systems and dopamine and all that juicy goodness that we love. Then next week in part two, we're going to talk about the how, meaning how can we balance our reward systems and dopamine levels to help us become less impulsive and feel more content in our lives and less sort of addicted to these things that are pulling for our attention and our reward systems. So let's start from the top. God, you know how much I love this topic, Ross. Absolutely. Because dopamine, you can also tell, obviously tell I'm really pumped about this Probably got too much dopamine running around (laughs) your brain at the moment. 100% my anticipation is through the roof right now. (laughs) I'm going to have a big crash later. No, but let's start from the top because dopamine has come with a few misconceptions in my experience. You may have experienced the same, Ross. Firstly, what is dopamine? One of the main neurotransmitters released by the brain. It plays a crucial role in our experience of feeling motivated and feeling reward and feeling pleasure and also where we put our attention towards things. It's also involved in the drive of the experience of wanting. It's anticipation. You know, when you're like sitting in the car and you know, you're about to get somewhere that you're really looking forward to. Like, I don't know, for me, it's ice cream. I love ice cream. I haven't grown out of that yet. Ice cream for other children or children, not other children. I'm not a child. For children, it might be like, hey, we're going to Disneyland and they've got this excitement going through them. That's dopamine. That's the anticipation of something awesome that's about to come. You know, I think understanding dopamine has helped us understand so much about the inner workings of the human brain and even more about motivation. Ross, what's your experience with dopamine being either with yourself or with your patients? Oh, it's the same thing. I mean, we are talking about uh, at at a physiologic level, there's a thing in the brain called the nucleus accumbens, which is the pleasure center, and that's where dopamine sits. But also dopamine's all throughout the body. So we, the nervous system isn't just in the brain, it's it's everywhere. And in fact, dopamine is, is used in, in medicine, in intensive care, in cardiology, to regulate blood flow to the kidneys, to improve cardiac function. There's a lot of other uses of dopamine, but today we're focusing on what it's doing in this uh, pleasure reward center. Ooh, thank you. 
Dopamine communicates via two pathways. One of them controls our movement and the other one regulates our motivation and reinforcement learning. So reinforcement learning is our habits. It's when we do something and our brain's like, oh, that was a good idea. Let's do that again. And it reinforces the behavior. And it's also what we associate with a sense of pleasure. What's really interesting is these two pathways together make us not only seek out a reward, but also move towards getting the reward. For example, when you eat something really delicious, you, let's say chocolate, you've just had some chocolate. Everybody loves chocolate. Ross, do you eat chocolate? I bet you don't. I do occasionally, but I like dark okay. chocolate, greater than yep. 70% cocoa because the other Me physiologic too. benefits you get with it. Look at you all about all of those goodness. Okay. I'm with you on that. I also love dark chocolate. Okay. Back to something tasty. What happens when you eat some chocolate, of course, 70% or more, <laughs> no, it can be anything delicious. Your brain releases dopamine, which triggers this reward pathway we've been talking about. The dopamine release then creates this pleasurable sensation. It's a type of reward which motivates you to do that behavior again so that you can experience the pleasure again. So we learn that when something feels good, tastes good, it makes us feel good, we're then driven to want to do it again. So whatever your drug of choice, whether it's chocolate or sugar or carbohydrates, could be nicotine, sex, romance novels, Netflix, social media, could be potato chips or shopping. Dopamine is the common denominator for all pleasurable, intoxicating and rewarding experience. Now, I think I've really got your attention. Ross, how would you say that dopamine plays a role in our, I guess, our physical functions? Yeah, well, I've, I've already mentioned the effects on the heart, the kidneys, etc. And you mentioned it very appropriately, movement. And this is one of the issues that people have heard of a thing called Parkinson's disease, where they lose the dopamine creating neurons in a particular part of the brain that don't move properly. And as you say, when the dopamine's working, it helps us move towards seeking that sort of pleasure. And so dopamine is a very, very important thing. But I just want to make a point now, whilst we're talking about pleasure, one of the problems with people who use illegal drugs, because that really floods the, the pleasure center in the brain, the, uh, the nucleus accumbens. And what, what happens is they just get such an outpouring of dopamine when they use the illegal drugs that nothing else will stimulate the nucleus accumbens. So they spend their whole life seeking these dreadful illegal drugs and their life is ruined because of this. So what we need to do, and this is what you're going to teach us to do today, Gina, is manage our dopamine rushes properly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting you bring up illegal drugs or illicit drugs because we've known through science there are certain things that we consume or that we engage in that will increase our dopamine levels more than others. And things like amphetamine, for example, will increase your dopamine levels 10 times anything that you can do in nature. Whereas something like sugar and chocolate and all of the other stuff will raise your dopamine by two or two and a half times. So because there's nothing in nature that can increase your dopamine again to 10 times, you start to feel like the only way you can feel happy and content again is to get more of that drug. Because what dopamine feels like is when you've got lots of dopamine in your body, you feel elated, you feel motivated, you feel energized. But when dopamine levels are low, 
you feel rubbish. You feel depressed, tired, moody, unmotivated, even to do the very basic tasks. And when your dopamine levels baseline, so just at that normal everyday level without highs and lows, you tend to feel a sense of calmness and contentment. So when the dopamine, I think this is really important to mention, dopamine, if you think of your reward system, it sits on like a seesaw and on one end is your pleasure and on the other end is pain. And the more pleasure we experience, the more pain we then experience because this your body or your brain is going over to make this balance. It's like, whoa, too much pleasure. Let's balance it and create homeostasis, what we call that's that baseline level. But then it goes down and we experience pain, which is why when you have a piece of chocolate, you're already thinking of your next one because you've had a high, you felt good, but now it's going to go down again. And now your body's like, whoa, we need to feel good again. Let's get more chocolate. Has that been your experience, Rolf? Um, I can't say personally that happens to me, but uh, I'm a lot older than you. I think as, see, this is the interesting thing. As people get older, they don't get the same dopamine rushes. The brain does change. And this is why younger people tend to be more risk takers than older people, because it's a different mm. sort of way that the dopamine's uh, manifesting. So, so certainly not my experience now, but probably if you asked me this 20 years ago, I probably would have said yes. <laughs> Is there anything that you do that you think, oh, I just want more of that? Or I know this isn't very good for me, but I do it anyway. No, I'm, cert I'm, no, I'm not, certainly not perfect. Pro probably the nights when I'm uh, having a glass or two of wine, you know, maybe I might have three or four when I should have one, one or two. That would probably be the only time I'd say. Yeah, we know alcohol boosts our dopamines, but it also does other things. Makes mm. you relax, makes and you more social, probably gives you that wonderful singing oh, voice no doubt, you have. Oh, and destroys the brain, the liver and the heart. But that aside, <laughs> it's just... Yeah. That aside, look, it's a car you're a cardiologist. You can get away with it, I'm sure. <laughs> no. Now, what's interesting is that dopamine is often referred to as the pathway to pleasure. You may have heard of things like the dopamine rush of drugs or gambling or addictive behavior. And I think this makes it sound as though dopamine is the chemical that makes you feel good. But what's actually more accurate is that dopamine is involved in the drive or the experience of wanting. Dopamine is what makes you anticipate or desire something, but it's not necessarily what makes you actually enjoy it. It's all about anticipation. And so what's interesting with this is one of the ways to balance our dopamine levels and we're going to talk a lot more about this in the next episode but is sometimes when we get that urge what we actually need to do is create a space between the urge and our action towards that so if you're sitting there and you're getting this urge to just jump on your phone because you're feeling a bit bored or whatever it might be and you're going to do that you're going to get a big dopamine rush by doing that but if you just waited and just stopped and not reacted to that urge, you distracted yourself with something else, you can actually start to weaken the urges with time. Now, this takes discipline, it takes practice, but it is such a powerful way to reduce some of our, I guess, addictive behaviors, some of the things that we know we probably shouldn't be doing, like scrolling on our phone too much, like watching too many episodes of Netflix when we should be going to bed and eating too much sugar and, and all those things that people report. What about Ross? Like, would you say... Okay, actually, I'm going to ask you sure. this more formally, but Ross, do you ever find that with the patients that you mm. see in your clinic, that the urges that they have probably don't dopaminergic? Like, are they going, oh, I really struggle to stop eating too much dessert, or I really struggle to not smoke or not drink? Oh, yeah, I think I think there's a strong uh, dopamine base to this because they are, it's almost a form of addiction, wanting to overeat, and certainly smoking is addiction, drinking too much alcohol, certainly anyone who uses illegal drugs 
has got mm. a big issue there. So, yes, I think there's a strong central core of, of dopamine working there. Mm. Yeah. And how do you find, you know, how do they get out of the cycle of, because dopamine can, is a very strong, it's, an, it's a strong yep. feeling. And when you don't have that dopamine, you feel lousy. So you really have mm. to have the discipline to know that you're going to get through that. So what do you find works oh, I, I have a long talk with them, uh, my five-point approach, which is probably very similar to what you do. Mm. Firstly, people have to, number one, make the decision they want to change so that they recognize there's an issue and say, I've got to do something about this. So number one, make the decision. Number two, and this is a big deal, look at the limiting patterns. What's stopping them from making that change? So I'll give you a great example. I had a patient who was a cigarette smoker. The family, rightly so, wouldn't let her smoke in the house. So she'd go into the backyard with a newspaper and a cup of coffee so she's away from the rabble inside, sitting by herself, reading the paper with a, a cigarette and a cup of coffee. She's not going to give cigarettes up under those circumstances because the whole thing is too pleasurable. So you've got to look at those limiting patterns and interrupt them. Number three, nature abhors a vacuum. So if you stop something, you've got to replace it with a better habit. So then I say to people, develop new habits, reward yourself. If you're smoking, all the money you spent on smoking, discipline yourself to put it in a bank account and it the end of the year, you've probably saved five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. Reward yourself with something, and so create that new pattern. Number four, and this is where you're the one of the world experts in this area. You've got to train the new habits, and and you have to discipline yourself for a certain period of time. You'd know better than I would how long that time is to completely train that habit. But then after that, and this is the key for me, for all of my patients, for me, for anyone, you must live the program for the rest of your life. Don't see it as a twelve week program or something you can do a diet stone work because you stop the diet. This is something you have to train the rest of your life and live it for the rest of your life. Yeah, I love that. I couldn't agree more. And it's such a logical, I love your advice. It's always so logical. There's always so much, I guess, like very pragmatic sequencing to it. I wanna, I guess, when I think about the feeling of dopamine, so let's take a moment to imagine this scenario. Yeah, so let imagine this scenario. Say your alarm has gone off in the morning and you know it's time to get up and move your body. That's what you planned the night before. Your self-talk is telling you to snooze a little longer or hey, you, you might say to yourself, look, I exercised yesterday, so I'm just going to take a break today. Or you get caught up in the trap of scrolling on your phone rather than getting up in the morning. But then you remember how good you felt after exercising yesterday. And you know that once you get up, you'll be so glad that you did. I've never walked into the gym and been like, God, I regret this workout ever. I've never done that. I've always been glad that I've pushed myself to go. Now, through that anticipation of pleasure or reward, that anticipation of knowing that you're going to feel really good after your workout, you release dopamine in your brain. And that release of dopamine creates the energy needed to overcome that initial resistance to exercising. And you find yourself feeling motivated and driven to you know, get up and you can overcome that short-term pain of getting out of bed, which is exactly what we need to do. You know, Like you said, it's about discipline. It's about just doing the things we know that we need to be doing. But here's another scenario. Let's say you could have like finished dinner and you're sitting on the couch at night having a bit of dessert and you, you've you got a pleasure hit from that dessert. So your brain releases a bunch of dopamine, which makes you crave even more dessert. So you go back for seconds and thirds, even though you're not hungry. I talked before about how what goes up must come down and how pleasure and pain sit on that same seesaw. The more we stimulate our dopamine system, the more you've euphoric we feel, but also the more we dampen this whole system, 
Ross, I would love for you to tell us a bit about dopamine tolerance and what happens when we're engaging in too much dopaminergic activity and, you know, that feeling of I need more and more and more to feel normal again. Yeah, well, this is typical of what happens in the body. It's not not just in terms of dopamine. We see this with, with really everything. So, for example, there are so many medications that are prescribed that the more you have, the more you need. Now, someone who drinks alcohol, if someone's a pretty heavy drinker, they can tolerate a lot more alcohol and they have to then drink more to get the hit from the alcohol. It's the same thing with drugs. If you and I had a shot of heroin that a heroin addict uses, it would stop our breathing straight away because we would not be tolerant to that level of drug. And so whether it's alcohol, whether it's an illegal drug, whether it's overeating, we have all of these hormones that control our eating. The more you eat, the more you need to eat. And so unless we learn to break that cycle, we'll become more and more tolerant to things that are more deleterious to us. Now, for example, with with exercise, which is good for us, you get used to exercising so your body can accommodate that. Whereas somebody who doesn't exercise, they go for a short run, they get unbelievably short of breath. So again, replace the bad habits that release dopamine with the good habits that release dopamine. And the more you do, the better you'll get at it. Oh, it's so good. I love that. And we know that pain pleasure balance is the reason why we do certain things or certain behaviors in an attempt to make ourselves feel better, especially when we're experiencing negative emotions. You know, it's called emotional eating for a reason. It's we doom scroll a lot of the time. People do that when they're bored or when they're trying to avoid an uncomfortable emotion or there's idle time and they don't want to sit with their thoughts or, you know, whatever it might be. Essentially, it's doing something to, to make us feel better in the moment. But when our dopamine levels below baseline, that's when we have those cravings and then feelings of withdrawal when we don't actually choose to have not the heroin, but those dopaminergic, you know, things. The good news is that there are actually, there's healthy and natural ways that can help us to restore our dopamine levels, which is exactly what we're going to be going through next in next week's episode. But I just want to touch on the fact that so many people don't have very healthy baseline dopamine levels because dopamine's all around us and it's cheap, it's quick, it's easy, it's on our phones all the time, it's in our pantries. It's, it is so convenient and easy to get these hits of dopamine whenever we want to. Therefore, for a lot of people, our baseline level of dopamine is already pretty high and we need more, like you're saying, Ross, we need more dopamine, do more of the, yeah, we're tolerant of it. Exactly. And so it's really important just to balance out that dopamine again. Now, if you've heard of something called a dopamine detox, I strongly suggest you do not come anywhere near that. It'll make you feel absolutely lousy. Dopamine detoxes literally remove all the pleasurable things all at once. It actually makes people feel depressed. I I don't like anything with the word detox. So, you know, I don't think that's going to be a good idea in the first part. Now, before we wrap up this episode, Ross and I wanted to say a big thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning in since we've launched Eat, Live and Move with Miyagi. We also have a little announcement. We've had a number of people contact us and asking questions about some of the topics that we've discussed so far. So each and every week at the end of each episode, we'll be answering the questions submitted by you, our listeners. This is your opportunity to have your voice heard and have your burning questions answered through science-backed conversations with Dr. Ross and myself. We've made it nice and easy for you to submit your questions. All you have to do is head to miyagi.coach forward slash podcast 
where you can find the question form. And today we're going to answer one of our very first questions that we received from a listener called Megan. Megan says, should I be taking a probiotic for gut health? Well, I think this one's for you, Dr. Ross. It certainly is for me. And can I make the point here that the best thing anyone can do for their gut health, because I believe we all have a degree of gut dysbiosis where our gut bacteria are not particularly healthy. Why? Because we live in the modern world. We were designed to wander around a jungle for 30, 40 years with a spear and just eat completely natural food. No one does that anymore. So the best thing anyone can do for their gut health is have two or three pieces of fruit per day, three to five servings of vegetables per day at least, and less than 10% of people do that. And those who do that have the lowest rates of heart disease, cancer, many modern diseases, and the healthiest gut. So don't say, oh, the probiotic's going to be my absolute key to good health. But there are a few very good, high-quality probiotics on the market. And I wouldn't just walk in and say, oh, that one looks all right, I'll take that. I would get advice from a dietitian, advice from a naturopath or a doctor who has an interest in integrated medicine. And I can I can say to you that I'm involved with the production of a new tribiotic, which has a prebiotic, probiotic, and a postbiotic, the first one in Australia. And uh, this is very, very good for gut health. But please don't see a pill as a replacement for good quality lifestyle, which includes having your fruit and vegetables. Solid advice, Dr. Ross. Thank you so much for answering that question. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode on Eat, Live and Move with Miyagi, where we've unpacked the juicy details around dopamine and how it influences why we do the things we do. Make sure to tune into part two of this dopamine series, where we're going to unpack how how we can balance our reward system and stop chasing the dopamine dragon so that we can be less impulsive and feel more content. That will be next week. And whatever platform you're listening on today, please do hit subscribe so you don't miss out when we drop a new episode. That's all from us. Thank you again. And we'll see you next week for more conversations with me, Dr. Gina Cleo, and my wonderful co-host, Dr. Ross Walker. Mm -hmm.